window. What on earth are you doing? she asked. Duty, my dear Laura, he began. Oh, for the Lord's sake, stop a minute, she cried, and don't talk to me in that way. I mean, what is all that? A ceremonial meal, Miss Hope. And what is that? she asked impatiently, pointing to the mountain of sugar. The wedding cake, Mrs. Angus, he said. The girl marched to that article, removed it with some clatter, and put it back in the shop window. She then returned, and putting her elegant elbows on the table, regarded the young man not unfavourably, but with considerable exasperation. You don't give me any time to think, she said. I'm not such a fool, he answered. That's my Christian humility. She was still looking at him, but she had grown considerably graver behind the smile. Mr. Angus, she said steadily, before there is a minute more of this nonsense, I must tell you something about myself as shortly as I can. Delighted, replied Angus. You might tell me something about myself too while you're about it. Oh, do hold your tongue and listen, she said. It's nothing that I'm ashamed of and it isn't anything that I'm specially sorry about. But what would you say if there was something that is no business of mine, and yet is my nightmare? In that case, said the man seriously, I should suggest that you bring back the cake. Well, you must listen to the story first, said Laura persistently. To begin with, I must tell you that my father owned the inn called the Red Fish at Ludbury, and I used to serve people in the bar. I have often wondered, he said, why there was a kind of Christian air about this one confectioner's shop. Ludbury is a sleepy, grassy little hole in the eastern counties, and the only kind of people who ever came to the Red Fish were occasional commercial travellers, and for the rest, the most awful people you can see, only you've never seen them. I mean, little loungy men, who had just enough to live on and had nothing to do but lean about in bar-rooms and bet on horses, in bad clothes that were just too good for them. Even these wretched young rotters were not very common at our house, but there were two of them that were a lot too common, common in every sort of way. They both lived on money of their own, and were wearisomely idle and overdressed, but yet I was a bit sorry for them, because I half believed that they slunk into our little empty bar, because each of them had a slight deformity, the sort of thing that some yokels laugh at. It wasn't exactly a deformity either, it was more an oddity. One of them was a surprisingly small man, something like a dwarf, or at least like a jockey. He was not at all jockeyish to look at, though. He had a round black head and a well-trimmed black beard, bright eyes like a bird's. He jingled money in his pockets. He jangled a great gold watch-chain, and he never turned up, except dressed too much like a gentleman to be one. He was no fool, though, though a futile idler. He was curiously clever at all kinds of things that couldn't be the slightest use. A sort of impromptu conjuring, making fifteen matches set fire to each other like a regular firework, or cutting a banana or some such thing into a dancing doll. His name was Isidore Smythe, and I can see him still with his little dark face, just coming up to the counter, making a jumping kangaroo out of five cigars. The other fellow was more silent and more ordinary, but somehow he alarmed me much more than poor little Smythe. 
He was very tall and slight and light-haired. His nose had a high bridge, and he might almost have been handsome in a spectral sort of way, but he had one of the most appalling squints I have ever seen or heard of. When he looked straight at you, you didn't know where you were yourself, let alone what he was looking at. I fancy this sort of disfigurement embittered the poor chap a little, for while Smythe was ready to show off his monkey tricks anywhere, James Welkin, that was the squinting man's name, never did anything except soak in our bar parlour and go for great walks by himself in the flat grey country all round. All the same, I think Smythe too was a little sensitive about being so small, though he carried it off more smartly. And so it was that I was really puzzled, as well as startled, and very sorry, when they both offered to marry me in the same week.